1 Peter 3, 8-17. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary. Bless, for this, to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him, I'm sorry, let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the very word of God. Every year, we return to the basic tenets of our church, gospel, community, and mission. You've heard us say this before, that we are saved by the gospel, into community, and for mission. There's continuity and intricate connectedness between these three aspects of our new life in Christ. If we neglect one, we find ourselves at a loss. Pursuing one of these alone is not complete without the others. A community without gospel is not a family of faith. Being saved by staying out of community or away from mission blunts the new life in Christ. Going on a mission without being saved is moot. And going on a mission without ascending community as a lone ranger is bound to failure and burnout. God has made it so that the new life we have in Christ is always better and fuller when combining these three elements together. The gospel gives us life and hope. Community gives us love and a home. And mission gives us purpose and joy. Today I will use the word mission broadly, meaning both ministry and gospel proclamation where we are, and also cross-cultural work and church planting. This is for the sake of gospel community and mission, just the tenets. But I will make a distinction later on in the message when I speak of application to us here. But first, I'd like us to focus on the main themes of 1 Peter 3.15, which is the main point or the main verse we will focus on today. Mission starts in our hearts. Mission needs preparedness. Mission channels hope. And mission requires gentleness and respect. The first point is mission starts in our hearts. Now, for most of us who know 1 Peter 3.15, we may have been asked the question before, what does 1 Peter 3.15 say? And if you were like me, or maybe you've been through this before, most people will say, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. But that's not what the verse says. 
It starts by saying, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So God designed us for his worship and glory, according to Isaiah 43, and to honor him as holy, according to Isaiah 29. The holiness of God is central to who he is, to our salvation, to our sanctification, and to our glorification, and to our worship of him. Today we have come to worship the holy God, who even the cherubim cover their eyes and say, holy, holy, holy. Once we are saved, we are immediately called to obedience to Christ. That's, that's the second verse of the letter. Peter calls the saved to obedience to Jesus Christ. And we are called also to live holy lives. This is verse 14 of chapter 1. You shall be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Now, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking legalistically today when we hear exhortations to holiness. But friends, once our hearts have tasted the goodness of God and experienced the overwhelming joy of the new creation, there must be in us a desire to both praise and obey the one who raised us from the dead and gave us life. And mission starts in such hearts of God's people by honoring God's name and giving him the worship that is due to him. Because our hearts and our minds are no longer set on the things of the flesh, Romans 8, but on the things of the Spirit. We are called to freedom in Christ as servants of God, not as a cover-up for evil. We are called away from the passions of the flesh and invited to live passionately for Christ our King. And what I just went over is a summary of chapter 2. Now, there's a song that I heard a long time ago, given to us by a cassette, actually, by missionaries who were in Lebanon, that says, to love the Lord our God is the heartbeat of our mission. And that's very true. We will not take up the cause of one we do not love. And the more we grow in our love for him, the more we get on board with his plan to be generous to the world for whom he gave his own son and to which he has commissioned us to go and make disciples. And I want us to hear this today. He did not die to save me, only me, from my sin, but to save us, the community of faith, the elect of God, the chosen people, and to put an end to the schemes of the devil and to the misery of sin that has infested all of creation since the fall. We just heard it in one of the pastoral prayers today that once in Christ, new creation. Now, brothers and sisters, a wayward heart does not walk in the way of the Lord. A heart that is set on lesser things does not rise to the high honor of worshiping God. In fact, we lose of the generosity of God when we seek after other things. But the heart that has been transformed by faith in Christ seeks Christ first and his righteousness and gives itself entirely to a life whose chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever and to help others along the way also to glorify God and enjoy him with us. That is, that is who we are. We are beggars who have found bread and we don't keep it to ourselves. We go tell other beggars that we have found the bread of eternal life. If we do not worship Christ as holy above all else, he does not diminish 
and his glory does not diminish, but you and I do. And we lose sight of the joys that he has set before us. The best first step of readiness for missions is to live holy, undivided lives for Jesus. In your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Which brings us to the next point, always being prepared. Mission requires preparedness. Now, have you ever found yourself facing a task that you wish you would have been prepared for? Maybe it's something at work, or maybe an athletic event, or an unforeseen situation. You might think you can wing it and do okay. But let's say you are about to have something done for you, and the one doing it is unprepared. Let's say you showed up for surgery, only to find out that the surgeon and the team are not ready or do not have the proper equipment. What would your disposition be? What would your reaction be? Now, in a similar way, what would the reaction of a great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us be if we are not ready to share the hope that is in us? Now, I want you to hear me clearly. Readiness does not only mean preparedness, it also means willingness. You cannot be prepared without being willing to get ready. You must seek to know and understand the faith and the word well so that you can articulate them well. Well, let me tell you what the problem is, why most of us dread this. I think the issue for many of us is not that we have tried to learn the word and share the gospel and found it to be very difficult. The issue rather is that we assume this to be difficult and we fear trying it. Did you hear that? I wonder how many of us think the word is difficult to understand or missions is difficult to do and we dread doing it rather than we have tried it again and again and again and again, like one who wants to run a marathon and improved along the way. So we need both willingness and preparedness. When 12-year-old Jesus was found by his parents to be arguing with the teachers in Luke chapter 2, I hope we're not under the assumption that Jesus, in his divine nature, was doing that. I tell you that Jesus, even from his childhood, poured himself over the word and studied it and was satisfied and saturated by it, being both prepared and willing to share it, even at age 12. He increased in wisdom by doing the work of preparedness so that he was ready. And I think a lot of us, sometimes we confuse that. We think in his divine nature he did that, but no, it was in his human nature that he studied the word. So that he can one day open the scroll of Isaiah and say, this has today been achieved among you. And you and I have no excuse not to be ready. We can create or make excuses, but if we are honest with ourselves, our excuses don't stand the test of scrutiny. Our spiritual reach cannot exceed our spiritual depth. It is hard for you to share the word if you don't know it. If we are not digging deep in the word of God, it's hard for us to reach out with the word of God. No one is born knowing how to speak, but we learn. 
No one is born knowing how to pray, but we learn. And sometimes you can tell who you're learning prayer from by hearing people pray. No one is born or born again knowing the whole counsel of God or how to preach or how to proclaim the gospel. But the more we learn, the better we become. And we have the spirit in us as our teacher who is ready to impart to us knowledge and gifts. Like Jesus, we too can grow in wisdom and favor with God and man. Preparedness means praying for the Spirit to open our minds to see wondrous things in the Word. It means prioritizing time in Scripture and with the community of faith. And I'm going to go back maybe here to last week's message. If you put anything else in front of the community of faith, of being with the community, you've got to ask yourself why, that question, why? And I know a lot of us are busy in many different ways of life, but sometimes we add busyness to our own self. I know I hear some of us in this church, but maybe in other churches that have our kids in baseball and soccer and football and swim and dancing and all of that as if they're all going to rise to be Olympians. Is that worth it? Maybe one activity is enough, maybe two are enough, but don't hide behind these things and stay away from the community of faith. What this also means, preparedness, is to proclaim the word and learn from mistakes sometimes, but also failures and triumphs. The first time I shared the gospel with a patient, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> but I didn't die, and the patient didn't die. And that was a win-win situation. Preparedness also means seeking opportunities to speak the truth of the word of God. People ask me, are you, do they allow you to share the gospel at work? Who on earth tells you, hey, I want you to come to work today and share the gospel with your coworkers? Which boss tells you that? No one is going to tell you that because they're opposed to the cross of Jesus Christ. But what it means is that you make an opportunity. And we'll talk more about that later on in application. Not just seeking opportunities. It means praying for opportunities. It means making those opportunities. It means you have your radar wide open to latch onto any hint that you can use for the sake of gospel proclamation. Someone mentioned gospel or church? Jump on it. Someone mentioned God? Took the, took the name of God in vain? How about you take it and win? And when suffering is the overarching context, because this is the overarching context of 1 Peter, he's writing to elect exiles who are suffering. When suffering is the overarching context, such as in this letter, and as it might be sometimes in our lives, or in that of our brotherhood around the world, or when we are opposed, we take every thought captive for the sake of Christ. That doesn't mean every thought that is maybe veering off from the faith. That means every thought that is opposing the faith as well. If you cannot defend your faith against claims that are opposed to it, then I wonder, have you embedded yourself deeply in the word of God and the counsel of God that has everything we need to life and godliness? It might be hard, but it's worth it. 
We may suffer for a while, but the joy that is before us must be a catalyst to proclaim the only thing that can transform the dying world. Jesus Christ, outside of whom there is no other hope for humanity. And we must always be ready to share this hope. Which brings me to the next point, that mission channels hope. First Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who, what? Asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. There are several marks of the Christian life. The fruit of the Spirit is one of them. And believers can be known by their joy and by their love for one another. But one of the most unique things in our Christian life is the hope we believers have that shows in how we face suffering, distress, illness, opposition, and the things that can easily cause fear to anyone else in this life. And I'm not talking about being aloof to what is happening around us or even to to us. I'm not speaking of being indifferent from pain or separating ourselves from suffering like some worldviews advocate. In fact, like, some, like our culture advocates. Our culture dreads stalking of death and of suffering. We envelop it with other words, with euphemisms. Passed away is no longer with us. Death is a reality that the only one can face it head on and be victorious is the child of God. And can tell other people that there is victory to be had if you belong to Christ. I'm speaking of a steadfast assurance. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's an assurance and a certainty of faith that the world around us can see in us and wonder at and feels attracted to. Or at least senses a desire to understand better. Hope is a great apologetic. Those who have no hope cannot give it. Those who have no water cannot quench someone's thirst. Those who have no food cannot alleviate hunger. That's why the unbelieving world stands disarmed in the face of death and suffering. It might resort to moral grandstanding or to declare how offended it is. But when disaster strikes close to home, when breath nears its end, when life is in its last moments, when medical promises fade, we can see that those who have no hope have nothing to impart. In fact, they may try to do their best to remove themselves from the situation. Now, by God's providence, some may show compassion and care toward the weak and suffering, but hope cannot be given where it lacks. If the well is empty, it cannot quench anyone's thirst. But we believers have come to the fountain of living water. Overflowing with life that Christ has given us. We are one with Christ. We have hope that is sure and steadfast as an anchor. In chapter 1, verse 13, Peter says this to the elect, preparing your minds for action, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 21, he says, our faith and our hope are in God. So friends, our hope 
is not in ourselves. Our hope is as strong, steadfast, alive, and eternal as the one in whom our hope is, the one who has given us this hope. And this hope is not only ours to keep. It is not merely for our benefit. Hope is ours to give in the name of Jesus Christ, whose word does not return empty. Gospel proclamation is the best apologetic, the best remedy, the best practice of Christian life, the best hope we believers can impart to the world. The resurrection of Christ is the reason for the hope that is in us. That's why everything we do is not in vain. And his word is the power of hope to proclaim freedom and light and life to all who have not yet been freed. Christ in us is truly the hope of glory, not only to us, but also to the world around us. Which brings me to the fourth and last point, that mission requires gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15, again, I want you to memorize it. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Oh, how much we lack gentleness and respect in the United States of America. You don't have to get deep into the United States of America. Just get to the airport. <laughs> now, within the context of this letter, believers are exhorted to face suffering with courage and hope. That's what Peter is telling the elect exiles, to face all this suffering with hope, but also to proclaim the excellencies. In the middle of trials, he calls them fiery trials. Peter calls his readers to faith and obedience, to holiness and to abstaining from passions. It's very easy. People say, we're under trial. It's okay to give way to, to sin or to indulgence. He's telling them, be holy as I am holy and abstain from the passions of the flesh. He's calling them to seek peace and to avoid repaying evil with evil, to honor everyone and to submit to authority. To submit to authorities. This was written at the time of Nero. I don't want to digress too much, but um, I don't use Facebook anymore, but when I used to use it, it was fun, not fun, it wasn't fun. <laughs> it was interesting to see Christians blast a certain president, but then when another president of a certain political party came to office, adore him as Christ and Savior when the Bible calls us to pray for those who are in authority, whether it's Nero or Caligula or the supreme, supreme leader of North Korea. What a shame it is that whatever our online platform is would deter people from asking for the reason of the hope that is in us. Is that hope? If the next president changes, is that where your hope is? How futile. Grow up. We have new creation. We are a new creation. We have eternal life with Christ. We just heard it today. There's a man who sits on the throne. That man doesn't have a four-year term. He doesn't run for office. He's there forever 
and ever, and his kingdom has no end. And I know this is going to be saved and recorded. You think the United States of America is going to stay forever? What happened to Rome or Greece or Alexander the Great? Where is he now? Or Phoenicia, which is my culture where I come from. You probably haven't heard of it. We wrote the alphabet. People don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think is going to happen to the United States of America? The Bible tells us, he who did not spare his own son, who now sits on the throne, will give us all things. And you matter about, it, it matters about who's going to be the next president. Is that where your hope is? How futile. Now, we should worry about these things. We should care about politics. In fact, being Christians, and if we are in politics, we should do it excellently. But our hope should not lie there eternally. Gentleness and respect is very important. We're called to honor everyone and to submit to authorities. Now, the whole counsel of God reminds us that we are always at risk of adversity in this world. In fact, we are... The word says that all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, okay, not a sum, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus may be persecuted. What does it say? Will. Will be persecuted. Yeah? Are you a Christian? When you signed that thing, did you read everything? Will be persecuted. Now, it says all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You might be a Christian. If you're not being persecuted, I wonder where that desire is. Are you being opposed for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and living a holy life? Are you giving people a reason to ask for the hope that is in you? Now, from a human standpoint, it would be very easy to answer in the same manner that one is confronted with or maligned. It would also be very easy to retreat into fear and worry, build a bunker underground and, and get food in it because, you know, something's going to happen in the next 31 millennia. But we are called to be ready to give a defense and to share the hope in our message to the world around us. Nowhere does it say, get a bunker in the word of God. It says, our God is a refuge and a strength. The right response to suffering or persecution or questioning is not fear, but worship. Have no fear of them. Okay, let's start with verse 13. Look in your Bible. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Okay? The right response to suffering or persecution is not fear. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's worship. Always being prepared to make a defense. That's readiness. To give a reason... For the hope that is in you, that is willingness to share. And to share what? The hope of Christ 
in which we stand. Now, a large part of how the message is received can be found in how the message is delivered. For too many, a good advice or a positive recommendation might go unheeded because the method of delivery is confrontational, cynical, or even sometimes asinine. How tragic it is for sick people sometimes to refuse treatment because the doctor did not explain it well, or was pushy or indifferent or a jerk. I'm sure you all have faced these situations. I see them at work regularly. Some of the people who lack the com most compassion are people who are in the medical field. Now, the world seems to love confrontation, drama, and fighting. You, you only have to watch Netflix this afternoon and you'll see that. But the people of God are not called to be quarrelsome. We are called to follow in the footsteps of our Lord who was a lamb. He's telling us not to repay evil with evil, but to seek to live peacefully. Gospel witness should not be a hammer, nor should it be a one-way street. Yes, you can go out and distribute tracts and talk to people and use a megaphone. What is the benefit of that if you can talk to your, talk to your brothers and sisters or open up in community? If you're not ready to press into community, it doesn't matter if you're going out and using a megaphone on the corner of 122nd and whatever street transects it. That's not gospel proclamation. Gospel proclamation means you sit down with people. You respect them to hear them, to hear their point of view. Try to get to know them. Understand where they're coming from. Hear their story. Learn their culture. Even if they're from a different culture, or God forbid they have different political preferences or ideology, you might find something in them that you like. God forbid you like your neighbors. And then you can gently and respectfully speak the truth with love, and guess what? Do it again and again and again. It's very easy to go out and distribute a tract but why don't you build a relationship with your neighbor or your coworker and try to share the gospel with them again and again and again and again and again? Now, we're to be wise in the face of hostility and discerning in the context we find ourselves in. But we're called to be gentle and respectful in all of our deliveries of the messages of truth, of the message of truth. Now, many have a sales approach to gospel proclamation. The goal is to seal the deal. You know, sow, plant, water, grow, hammer, lead in prayer, reap. We want to do it all. And then market toward the convention. But statistics suggest that a person might have to hear the gospel no less than seven times before making a decision. This means that more than one individual, maybe even many, are likely to be involved in someone's story of faith over a long period of time. Some might have to remove rocks, some might till, a few might sow, several might water, one or two might reap, and they may not be you. And guess what? The harvest is for the kingdom. It's not for you. And we should all do our part in the work of ministry with meekness and kindness. I live by a motto that there is no reason to be unkind. And how... How miserable it is if we are unkind in how we proclaim the gospel. 
hammer people on Twitter or whatever it is now, X nowadays, by gospel stuff. Show me when, bring me statistics, when was the last time your tweet saved someone? And my, I might change what I say in the future. And also, there's no reason to be hyper-Calvinistic. I know we're Reformed here, but we're not hyper-Calvinistic. We don't declare that we shared the gospel once and our job is done. No, you keep doing it and doing it and doing it until something clearly happens, until you die or the other person die. If we truly care about people's eternal destiny, we would do all we can to make use of every opportunity to proclaim Christ as the hope of the nations and the only answer to the misery of sin that this world languishes in. You want this world to be free from sin and misery? Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and live it. Now, so far I've used mission, meaning gospel proclamation, and also kind of for the sake of argument. But over the next few minutes, I'm going to be making a distinction between mission and gospel proclamation as I focus on the application of what it means for us to be here at Crossland and proclaim the gospel. Now, the Lord has given the great commission to all believers, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples. It's okay. You can answer. I come from a culture that people respond. Giddy up. Respond. Yeah. Go and make disciples of. Okay. Which means here and there. And baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey, right? You don't only, it's very hard to teach someone to obey if you give a gospel tract on Lake Hefner, right? You build a relationship with people. And it's very easy to do it, it's much easier to do it in the community of faith, where you might sow and someone else might, might, uh, might water and grow. Now, within this context, mission is a very specific subset where people are sent cross-culturally, okay? Got to be very clear here. I'll tell you why in a second. This usually means going to a different country, living in a different culture, embedding in a different language. And if we want to be more precise, mission typically means frontier gospel proclamation that might require a long commitment to learn a new language and translate the Bible into the language, into that language with the goal of planting and building healthy churches that eventually reproduce locally without outside governance. Okay? This is what mission is. The goal of mission is church planting. People are saved by the gospel. Okay, what did I say? People are saved by the gospel into, for, let's do it again. People are saved by, into, for, do you believe that? If you have a counter argument, don't speak it now, after the sermon. Okay, so people are saved by the gospel into a community, which is the church, the body of Christ. And if you are not a member, I would say that you are being disobedient. And you can tell me that after, you can tell me I'm wrong afterwards. Into a church where they grow and are sanctified and multiply. You cannot do one another's if you're not a member of a church. And we cannot shepherd you if you're not a member of the church. And guess what? You don't get the privileges of a member if you're not a member of the church. Okay? And if this is a hard saying, it is the truth. Accept it. And if you don't believe it, change to believe it. Yes, I am being strong. People only grow and are sanctified and multiply in the body of Christ. You're not a lone ranger as a Christian. We have many people who come here 
and we don't accept them into membership because they're not baptized, and they go to other churches and they bring them in, and I want to see what happens to them. I pray they grow, but we want to do church membership well so that people can grow and proclaim the gospel and grow into the community of faith, and we can benefit one another toward holiness in Christ. Now hear this, the fruit of an apple tree is not merely apples, and I get this from someone from perspectives, it's other apple trees that bear more apples, okay? In the same way, the fruit of missions is not only new converts, but new churches that multiply and lead to more believers and even more churches. Not all of us have this desire for missions. Not all of us feel equipped but every church should have this as a priority of its ministry. And we all must pray for this end. We must learn more about mission and needs. Give wisely and generously. Not everyone who wants to go and paint a wall in Mexico should get your money, okay? Mobilize, send, and support well. Welcome foreigners and also returning missionaries among us. But also seek the Lord's face, whether he will give us a desire to go ourselves to the nations, and to use what he has equipped us with for the sake of cross-cultural missions and church planting. So to be clear, our missionaries here at Crosstown are our goers whose goal is church planting. Now, there are many other ways that people can support such efforts and be missionaries by being on logistics, using, you know, being in Mission Aviation Fellowship, doing medical work that also helps support the local church. There's many other ways, but for the sake of the word mission, usually, the goal of mission is church planting. Now, I don't want us to leave today and think, I don't want you to go home today and say, yes, we're all missionaries where we are. We're not. In fact, none of us is unless we're going overseas. But hear this, and this is equally important. We're all gospel ministers and must be gospel proclaimers. Old Testament Israel was chosen by God to be a blessing to the nations around it. Here, and if you have also an argument against this, I'd like to hear it later on. Peter is very explicit in his teaching that the church of Jesus Christ, God's chosen people, is the new Israel with the same goal. Turn with me to chapter 2, verse 9. I thought I was going to preach lesser time today, but... I feel energized. Chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Stop right there for a second. These are all parallels to Old Testament Israel. Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people of his own possession. What is the next, what is the next word? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you see why we are saved into a community? We sang, let the nations be glad, Psalm 67. God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Do you know what the next word is? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O oh God, let all the peoples praise you. If you hoard the blessing of God to you in salvation, you're going to give an account to it or for it. Okay? 
that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Are you getting this? Not only Crosstown's elders and ministers are gospel proclaimers, every one of us is. We are all the Israel of God, the new community of faith, the stewards of the word of God, whose purpose is to proclaim Christ and him crucified to the world around us. We, all of us, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for Christ's possession. Now, what does this practically mean for each one of us? We're chosen by God and given honor, glory, and a living hope with him, who is our chief cornerstone, and the chosen stone, precious and priceless, by whom we are both commanded and empowered to proclaim his excellencies and to shine his light in the darkness. We're the salt of the earth, a city on a hill. If you keep the salt hidden, it loses its taste. If you put the light under the bed, it doesn't light the city, right? We're a city on a hill. Whatever we are, we are to honor Christ and live holy lives in private and in public. Did you hear that, Christian? In private and in public. What you do in private affects what you do in public. Your sin in private affects the whole community of faith. There's no sin that is victimless. Whatever we are, we are to honor Christ and live holy lives, in private and in public. We must consider Christ better than all the treasures of this world and fleeting pleasures of sin. We must also live with thanksgiving for all the skills and gifts that he has equipped us with. Any position we're in, any power we possess, we must see ourselves in every realm of life that we're specifically placed there by God ordained by God where we are. Because Christ is risen, is risen, no labor of ours is in vain. Not only pastors are ordained, not only government leaders are ordained, all of us in the new covenant are ordained as priests, royal priests for God, and we're commanded to proclaim the gospel. So this is not a suggestion or a recommendation. It's not a legalistic it is a command. We will give an account for this. Does this sound scary? You bet it does. But the last thing I want is for us to leave here today afraid. My goal today is for us to feel empowered, encouraged, maybe cut to our heart, but equipped for gospel ministry. It is, hard. is it hard work? Yes, it is. Is it worth it? You bet it is. So whatever you are, at home or at school, at work or at play, start thinking of people the Lord has put on your path. Write their names down. Share their names with your missional family. Pray for them. Pray for them fervently. Be patient. Persevere. I was just sharing with, with Ben earlier this week that some of you know, you know, I've been praying for one of my fellows who, Oct come October, I would have known him for four years. He left uh, to another state now, and he's doing um, more training. And it took four years, and we, were sp we started reading the Gospel of Mark together earlier this year before he left. And as I was asking him, what, does it, what, is, what is his understanding of himself and of God and of the Gospel now that 
who've come this way. And, and I kid you not, this is not someone who's been in church. He said, I feel like the Lord, or I feel like God is being very patient for me, toward me, and giving me certainty that he wants me to seek salvation. And I almost fell backwards. It took four years. Three years and ten months, exactly. It didn't happen overnight. This is multiple conversations and prayers. So be patient. Persevere. And if there's animosity between you and workers, pray for the Lord to soften your heart toward them. Don't only wait for opportunities to happen, but make them happen. Learn to use verbal cues that can help open our gospel conversations. And those who've taken perspectives know we call these Shema statements, where you say something that might help other people kind of open up toward gospel conversation. In fact, I used one on Friday. I actually did not remember. I was waking up from anesthesia, okay? And I was speaking with my recovery nurse, and I did not even remember. She asked me, which church do I go to? And I said, why are you asking me the question? She said, you said something like 10 minutes ago. And I'm like, I don't even remember I said that. And then I shared the gospel with her. I was under narcotics, so <laughs> I think it was fine. But. but imagine if this is almost, and I'm not saying this like to say I'm, I'm holier than you are, but like I didn't even remember saying that. I wasn't even awake when I said it. And just to think that sometimes people wake up from anesthesia and, and are saying weird stuff because I also, you know, sedate people. And we hear funny stuff sometimes and unholy stuff, but it's like my dread if I wake up and I'm saying something that is like unholy, but no, I guess I said something that is right this time. But take advantage of these opportunities. Learn to use verbal cues. Sometimes if you use them a lot, they might be in your subconscious and you might even say them when you're not fully awake. Be trustworthy and be excellent in what you do so that people can also trust you and seek your help. Do your coworkers think that, do your coworkers' impression of you is that you hate your job? You might. But what if they know that your job is difficult yet you persevere in it and you show grace and you thank everyone? Try to find activities to do together with them. Have meals together. God forbid, be hospitable and invite them to your home for dinner. that great American home that you go in and you close the garage door and it feels like it's your fourth. What if your home is open to other people? And I know some people do this greatly. Ask the Steels, they do this the whole time with their coworkers. Don't only tell your friends you will pray for them Offer them to pray for them right then and there when they share and open up about a struggle. It's called prayer evangelism. I pray with every single patient or I offer every single patient to pray with him or her before I sedate them. And that opens up gospel conversations afterwards. I also pray for, my, for the people who work in our office. And now they come and ask me for prayer and that opens up more conversations. 
because they know I will pray for them when they ask that. And they know from your prayer sometimes that you believe in the one true God. Let's give people a reason to ask us for the hope that is in us. The eternal hope. And friends, don't be militant about anything else more than the gospel. Environment, finances, America, your political party, your candidate, your favorite cause, or your favorite team, or your favorite TV show, or your favorite sports activity, whatever it is, don't be more militant about it than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not even your church. Don't let anything that might drive you to love Christ be higher than Christ himself. Love Christ above all else. Be about the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm pleading with you to not waste your life over things that are not eternal. And to not fill your time with things that take you away from the pleasures of God. Don't hide behind the busyness of life, the demands of work, or even behind the cares of your family. The hope of Christ is ours to give whatever we are, and it's easier for us to do that with the help of our community. The community of faith where we encourage, equip, and exhort one another to obedience and maturity in Christ. It's hard for you to read the Bible? Read it in community. You want to learn more? Learn more in community. And seek to partner together for the sake of Christ's name around us and among the nations. And I'm going to end my message on a sober note. Um, my apologies, I'm over time. I realize that we all face challenges, difficulties, and oppositions in our various spheres of influence. Peter was acutely aware of this, and his letter is written under an overarching context of suffering. You see, it was good for him to write this to believers so that they don't turn cynical and become paralyzed from sharing the gospel, sharing the hope that they have. And the sobering note is that this was my experience. I know some of you know my story, and I've shared it before, but my family came to faith in war in Lebanon. We were persecuted before and after believing in Christ. And I'm going to be very brief here for the sake of time. We were opposed for many years after. I've had a very difficult life. But that life also gave me joy in Christ. But hear this. Because we were opposed for many years and people tried to kill us, I had hatred in my heart. Hatred. I wished people to die. This was the hatred that I had. In fact, I wished to be militant were it not for my parents. I had hatred in my heart toward those who opposed us and tried to kill us. And this, unfortunately, prevented me from sharing with them the same hope that saved me. Because I had not yet understood that the hope of Christ is for all. But when the one who forgave me and gave me life reminded me of the need to forgive them, because if we don't forgive other people their trespasses, he will not forgive us ours. My heart broke in repentance. I know I shared this in one of our Sunday's potlucks a few years ago here. And when my heart broke, I prayed for them. He says, pray for your enemies, right? Love your enemies and pray for them. And the more I prayed, the more the Lord broke my heart and softened it toward them. And then grew in me a love that eventually led me to yearn to proclaim the gospel and hope of Christ to my enemies. And this took years. And I am saddened that this took years because I wish all of that happened quicker because I regret the many opportunities to channel hope that came along the way that I never took advantage of to proclaim Christ. And I've wept many nights because I feel like the Lord is going to ask me for their blood from my hands when I did not share the gospel with them. God is sovereign in salvation, but we are responsible also to proclaim the gospel. 
and his excellencies. And my prayer for you and me is that we do not keep making this mistake, but always be prepared to share the hope that is in us so that more people would walk from darkness into light and from death to life, glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Because that is the hope we have, that we will all stand together before the great king and proclaim that he lives forever and ever. And all of this, all of our suffering will one day give way to glory and to joy and to everlasting presence of our King and Savior. Bow your heads with me, please. Our Father, I thank you that the hope of the gospel is, in, is the truth, the reality in which we stand, and that is not ours only to keep. It is ours to proclaim. It is ours to rejoice in. It is ours to quench people's thirst and feed people's hunger. We live in a, in a world that is dying without Christ. And on one hand, we thank you that you have brought us from death to life. You have, as the word says, you, we are a chosen race, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for your own possession that we may proclaim your excellencies. So I, my prayer today, O oh Lord, is, is for me and for my brothers and sisters that we, we rejoice in being saved by the gospel, that we embrace the community of faith that we have been saved into, and that we run forward with the mission of sharing the hope of Christ to all those who are around us, all those you have put on our path. There is nothing that has happened that you do not ordain from your seat in the heavens. So God, give us hope, give us joy, renew in us a zeal for the gospel. Make it like fire in our bones that even when we do not want to share the gospel, that zeal in our bones does not let us shut our mouth, but we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us from darkness into his marvelous light. And oh, what a marvelous light it is. And one day we will stand before you with people from all tribes and nations and peoples and all parts of history, and we will have senses that are unhindered from seeing you in all your marvelous light. To you be glory in us and in this church and in Christ Jesus, now and forever. Amen.